Good morning, Good morning campers. campers. Today's activities include, you know, just trying to get a cappuccino first thing in the morning. Lunch today will be poisonous foam. And to end the night, we will be exploding some relics and flying off into the sunset. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk. Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current drag wrestler manager. And I'm Camp Counselor Sarah, a secret nun, and we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. And a big Mariska Hargate to returning guest, Katie Beth. Mariska Hargate, friends. Mariska Hargate, Katie Beth. Now you have brought us (laughs) an alleged movie. Tell us about Hudson Hawk. In 1991, they released a film that um, is somehow inspired by the on the road, like Bing Crosby... Oh, what's the other guy? Bob Hope. That's that's brain. exactly Hope, the vibe you. I was thinking of when I was watching this yes. movie. Was the Crosby and Hope movies. Yes. So, so it's based on the on the road movies, but it's an action adventure. It's a heist film. It's a religious heist <laughs> film. It's what Da Vinci Code wants to be, and I'd like to say my whole knowledge of Da Vinci Code is that Roy Kent reads it in um, season two of Ted Lasso. So. <laughs> I assume this is what Da Vinci Code could be if it tried harder. Um, uh, it's a romance. You're not wrong in a way. That's the that's probably the worst part about that sentence. <laughs> oh. And so this is a um a beloved film from my teenager years, which as I watch it as an adult, I think I was really allowed to watch this as a teenager. <laughs> It was on um, satellite on a regular basis during that era when everyone had satellite with the many movie channels and you saw all sorts of weird stuff that wasn't on regular cable. And this was one of those films. <laughs> this, this definitely feels like uh, a channel went, we need movies to put on Saturday night. What do we got? And somebody dug through like yes. the most D-list bag they could find. <laughs> And then got to the bottom of that bag and went, hey, I found a copy of Hudson Hawk. Can we get that for cheap? Yes. TriStar yes. Entertainment was charging like seven ninety nine per showing. They were still trying to recoup their U.S. money. Yeah. They made a lot of money in Europe, as the director says repeatedly on the audio commentary. <laughs> the movie was a... The movie was made like $17,000 in the states but it, or not thousand million dollars oh, I in was the gonna states, but it made like but it made like 80 million internationally apparently it was huge in Europe everybody loved it in Europe so we just don't have the right sense of humor in the states like that <laughs> It's a movie It's a movie <laughs> So it was just like one of those ones on regular watching in your household so my dad loves this movie, mm-hmm. and so we watched it. A whole, it was one of those where it was like, I don't know what's on the movie channels, and 
Um, I did make him watch Star Wars a lot as a teenager, so I guess this was this was a I'm gonna pick the movie now kind of thing. Um, but he loves this film, and he is the only other person I've ever met that likes this movie. <laughs> so, so it it may be partially because I somewhat grew up on it, mm-hmm. but I think it's hysterical. I I just love the idea of like going down your household. Uh, d- down your block, household by household, and being like, most watched movie on TV, Shawshank, 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 Hudson Hawk, Shawshank. Hu- wait! I mean, really, they're, they both have such similar trajectories of characters. There's uh, <laughs> men who breathe oxygen and a prison. There's a little bit of prison in this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um references to old things so did your dad love it because it feels like a cartoon I guess I I have never asked him as an adult why he liked this movie so much I have no idea but it was um the two of us deeply enjoyed it So, uh, to the point that when I did my study abroad at the end of college and went to Italy for three weeks, we went to the Vatican, and I had to have my photo taken with a Vatican post box (laughs) outside of Vatican. You sent me that picture, and I did not understand the context (laughs) for it at the time. Um, So, yes. And the tunnels... The tunnels in the film are not the real Vatican tunnels. Really? They filmed it. It's a male tunnel in London, but they do, in fact, have that type of tunnel in Vatican City to get their mail around. One of my favorite things about Vatican City is that they have a national rail line. It is, I believe, half a mile long and has one stop. (laughs) It connects to the Italian rails, but because it's in Vatican City, it's technically the national rail. Yeah. And the guards wear those very silly outfits. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Strange. The Vatican. A strange, strange place. Very few women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, weirdly enough, we have Andy McDowell here for the third time. Andy McDowell is turning out to be our surprise, like... Like, as Steve Martin is to SNL, Andy McDowell is to us. She just keeps showing up over the decades. Not as the severe older Andy McDowell that we've come to know and love, but rather the young ingenue Andy McDowell. My God, she's beautiful in this. Oh, my God. You know what's really funny Mm -hmm. is that role was originally cast for Isabella Rossellini. Oh my! Okay, that makes way more sense in that the context of the film. Yes, especially since yes. Annie McDowell has a Southern accent. <laughs> I'm just a nun. Just a Southern American nun. It's fine. Just a nun working for the Vatican. You know me. <laughs> she got called up to the big leagues of the nunnery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Isabella Rossellini was cast in that part, and they had to delay the film. Um. I. Th- think because they were making Die Hard 2 mm-hmm. and so by the time they went to make the film she wasn't available because she was doing something else and I can't remember what it was right now so I don't want to say the wrong movie but damn um, it Johnny you know I love my Isabella big beef and cheddar <laughs> that's why I love Arby's <laughs> 
Have you seen her in 30 Rock? No. Oh, so oh. she and Alec Baldwin's character uh, used to be married. And when oh, they God. divorced, they have to split custody of an <laughs> Arby's that they own together. Oh, God. How do you split custody of an Arby's? And is it times of day you're allowed to go in the building? Well, he he gets it. And he says he's going to open up all the doors and windows and let have nature have its way with it. <laughs> 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 now I want french fries yeah <laughs> I want Arby's but there's no Arby's near me so I whenever I travel for work because oftentimes I have to go stay for like a week or something in a shithole like Hamilton sorry anyone from Hamilton listening but your city sucks I always I always google maps are there Arby's nearby because my god I could live off that horsey sauce when uh, when Hamilton opened in Toronto, I saw a headline that was Torontonians excited to go to Hamilton for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> the shade. I'm I'm sorry. I've just had really bad experiences in Hamilton, such as driving down a road and a car coming in my lane towards me. It wasn't a one-way street. There were two separate lanes, but it decided to be in my lane for some reason. As well as oh, a jogger who decided to jog into the middle of the road and then just jog in place in the middle of the road. An intersection. <laughs> like, but, you know, jogging. Because got to keep my heart rate up and not use a sidewalk, apparently. There's something in the water in Hamilton. I'm so sorry. That's That's my <laughs> deal breaker for future boyfriends. If at any point they say... Let's find a nice house in Hamilton. I'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving you. <laughs> I like how uh, between this and Pontypool, we're just pissing off every municipality in Ontario. I think we said nice things about Pontypool. Maybe? I think we said uh, things that um, suggested we would not like to live in Pontypool. Oh no, God, goodness no, I'm a city boy. That's that's why I would not want to live in Pontypool. Um, shall we discuss the movie itself? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could, or I could continue to learn about ca uh, small Canadian cities. <laughs> um, it's a secret Canada episode. Co come, for oh, the, yeah. <laughs> come for the knowledge about media, stay for the trivia about small Canadian cities. This yes. is just a long con to get uh, CanCon government funding. Oh, God, that would be awesome. Imagine what we could do yeah. with all 12 of those dollars. <laughs> okay, before we get started with the plot, I want to I talk for a little bit about sort of the, the mood of this film. Because when I was watching it, I kept going like, I feel like I'm not following this. Because I feel like this has thrown everything about Hollywood filmmaking that I understand out the window. Cause and effect are gone. <laughs> I. How would you guys describe the mood of this movie? Oh, ooh, um, uh, it's okay. All right, hold on. This movie is what would happen. If, okay, 
All right, all right. Do you guys know about the Hellraiser movies after number four? I swear this is coming to something. <laughs> I don't I, know anything about the Hellraiser movies. For I understand from people talking about it on Twitter today that there are two good ones and no other good ones. Is that correct? Okay. So the f- but there's a lot more of them. The first two are amazing. The first one is easily one of my top ten movies of all time. It is such a wow. well-made movie. Okay. It, it's it's uh, a family melodrama that happens to have, have cosmic horror constantly trying to creep into it. Mm. Great. The second one is just cosmic horror. But that's that's neither here nor there. So what happened was, first one did really well. Great. They made a second one. Also did really well. Third one did pretty good. And then the fourth one sort of didn't. And then they continued to make six more after that, but they all went directly to DVD, right? Because at the time in the 90s, A, horror was dead, so you only ever sent horror movies directly to VHS, and B, none of them are good. Here's the problem with the Hellraiser scripts after number four. None of them started as Hellraiser scripts. (laughs) <laughs> they were scripts that were brought to the studio that were like, look at this kind of horrific neo-noir because like 50% of them were neo-noirs for some God knows reason. And the studio went, great, this sure is a script. Well, we're about to lose the rights to Hellraiser. What if we just shoved Pinhead and Cetabytes into this script? And that's kind of how I feel about this film. Because not not th- it feels like a reverse Hellraiser in that this was originally a Muppet script that then had all the Muppets <laughs> excised from it, and instead they shoved Bruce Willis to try and plug up that hole. And it's not the same shape hole, but boy did they try. <laughs> I I agree with that. <laughs> yep. Yep, I think I think that kind of captures the tone of every single person's acting style. It it really did because I watched it for a second time today to take notes on the plot. It really felt yeah. like like on the second watch I was like, "Oh, you know the game where everybody says take a movie and then replace all the rest of the cast with muppets but leave one human?" Well, this is a Muppet movie that went in the opposite direction of let's just replace all the Muppets with people, but keep the acting style exactly the same. Yeah. I think you may have unlocked the secret to Hudson Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> I think that may be what this actually uh, What I, I feel like, I don't know that I can give a specific name to the mood, but I can tell you that in one version of the script, Hudson Hawk had a pet monkey named Lil Eddie. What? <laughs> because his name is Eddie. Yeah. Um, he had a pet monkey named Lil Eddie who apparently was involved in the exploits somehow. And I feel like that specific fact really captures what this movie is, a.k.a. They had so many ideas, and they kept adding ideas, and they didn't subtract enough. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like the kind of movie that if you added a monkey, it wouldn't make any more or less sense. 
than it currently does. Yeah, it also kind of feels like a like an improv troupe where everybody is like, I'm going to be the hat guy in this scene. <laughs> everybody said yes and with a little too much like heart. There's poor Andy McDowell trying desperately to keep up and not really succeeding. I disagree. I think she's I I yeah. think she's pretty good in this. I, I I think a lot of people are really good in this. And I'm going to tell you this right off, Katie Beth. I like this movie. <laughs> I'm going to be mean to it. It's, it's a fun movie, but I, I will be mean about it, too. Like, I love this movie, but I have a lot of sass. Oh, about for it sure. It is so silly. It's, um, there was a review that I read when I was prepping that said something about, like, if they had just made the two buddy characters the super wacky ones and let everybody else be the straight man it would have worked and i'm like but then we'd lose everybody else being wacky oh my. and i think that's part of the charm of the film yes. it just like you you think okay a straight man is going to walk into this movie at any moment and point out <laughs> how ridiculous nope. everyone else is no at no point you think that the 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 cardinal might be <laughs> nah maybe andy mcdowell uh, nope not her well who else is left is it mm-hmm. james coburn oh uh, no he he decided nope. this scenery <laughs> looks tasty as fuck <laughs> like how is there any scenery left after richard e grant and sandra oh bernhard shoot god on it? sandra bernhard i <laughs> This was my introduction to Sandra Bernhard, was this film. So, anytime I see her anywhere else, I'm like, you could go harder. <laughs> Noted uh, by icon or bycon, Sandra Bernhard. Aw, uh, Sandra Bernhard, uh, bycon. This is the two it. episodes in well, a row and- with bycons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, apparently she and Richard E. Grant became very good friends while they were trapped in Budapest filming this in a Budapest studio, because all the exteriors are the real places. Um, but then, like, anything that they could build, they built in a studio in Budapest, and, um, the two of them became very good friends because they had quite a miserable time there. And apparently if you read his set diaries, he talks about this movie, among others, and how much he hates it. Oh, no. Because it was apparently a very messy shooting and very messy script changes going on while they were shooting. And there was a lot of paparazzi following them around because Bruce Willis and Demi Moore were married at the time. And so paparazzi were forever making up whether or not they were still together. And they, like, took photos of them filming on set in Rome, like, you know, on location in Rome of him and Andy McDowell kissing in the scene and posted as like, he's having an (laughs) affair with Andy McDowell. So there was a lot going on. It wasn't just one of those movies where you go hang out and become friends with everybody. So it was, um, apparently everyone had quite a time. Huh? It seems like the sort of like, Adam Sandler thing where you're like, you know what would be really cool is if I take a bunch of great people and I'm going to shoot in London and Budapest and Rome. Yeah. It's it's wild. It had a weird Indiana Jones quality to it as well of like, I could totally see that if this movie had made 
a stupid amount of money at the box office, we would have had three more of these films by the mid-2000s. They probably would have been better than the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Oh, yeah. Well. Definitely. definitely. (laughs) Well, uh, all the humor of Indiana Jones is sucked out of the fourth movie, and it appears to have been deposited into Hudson Hawk. It was, there was a time machine involved, I think. Exponential humor happened because this movie has more humor than it, (laughs) than any right. (laughs) Okay, so the movie starts in Italy with (laughs) a guy who I later discovered is the narrator of the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. Rocky and Bullwinkle! Oh, that's that voice. Yes. That's the narrator. Narrating about uh, Da Vinci. I just finished listening to um, the biography of Da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. And this horse plays a surprisingly large role in it. Because he was meant to make it. And he just never got around to it. Because Mm -hmm. he had a problem with finishing things. Really? Da Vinci. Problem with finishing things. So I, 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 for like the first third of this, basically until the horse gets destroyed, I was like, this is going to be really important. This whole movie is going to be about the horse. (laughs) Uh, So we see Da Vinci working on his alchemy machine and his hang glider, which fails horribly. (laughs) Um, This was apparently the first movie where they digitally removed the wires from shots when they flew people and things. Ooh. Oh, that's pretty and impressive. Apparently, apparently whatever guy at the studio told them, hey, you can just do it this way, is one of the inventors of Photoshop. Wow. Oh. Like, yeah. So um, 1991, there's your fun fact there. <laughs> so don't go looking for wires in this movie. Um the tone of this first scene and the look of it makes me think about Ever After. Yes. Yes. And it feels like this is a prequel film <laughs> spin-off of the Da Vinci portions of Ever After. It, like yeah. it's just Leonardo Da Vinci before he gets to the <laughs> But it's it's the it's the Da Vinci of Ever After then mushed in yeah. with the steampunkiness of Wild Wild West. But this Da Vinci, other than the Mona Lisa joke, you never get the idea that this Da Vinci um, is sort of a wild and crazy guy like the rest of the characters. I'm like, no, this is straight up Da Vinci. He meshes with old Da Vinci perfectly. He's the straight man that we've been waiting for. Gotcha. (laughs) He only died 500 years before the rest of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Too straight to live. Too straight to to be in the rest of the movie. I'm taking points off of you for suggesting that Da Vinci was straight. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. What's my point at now? (laughs) You're in the negative. You're going to work to bring it back. Okay. All right. I've got to say something gay. Yas, queen. (laughs) I like how you deepened your voice for that. Um, The match shot of the glider turning into the hawk on the Hudson is great, though. I really, yeah. I really like that. The first five minutes of this movie are shooting way harder than they need to in terms of cinematography. 
Yeah, it is a pretty movie. Like, the, the first, the opening bit is just, like, so pretty, and then the rest of the movie happens, and you're like, why am I in a New Jersey Blues Brothers yes. that then goes to Italy? <laughs> uh, so, Hudson Hawk, Bruce Willis, is getting out of prison. Uh, he is a world-famous cat burglar. <laughs> And his parole officer is trying to convince him to do a job for him. And he says, no, I'm going straight. Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. There's a lot going on here. I, I appreciate it. Bruce Willis is basically doing, like, Die Hard here, right? He's yeah, yeah, he's just being standard Bruce Willis. You know, slightly upset that the world is happening to him, but a bit of a jovial guy. But he has none of the family issues of Die Hard. I feel like Die Hard Bruce Willis is super serious about the fact that he has this career and he's trying to balance that his wife has a better career than him and she's moved and the children are with her. And so he has all these problems to fix, which, you know, depending on if you watch the other movies or not, you can decide whether or not he actually fixed that. But if you only watch the first one, it's fine. Um, but this one, he just needs a cappuccino. Like, he came out of prison. <laughs> all he cares about is he just wants a cappuccino. He's not, like, raring to go, and, you know, he's not going to a strip club. He's just like, can I get my foamy beverage, please? Which as soon as that second cappuccino is lost, I'm like, I know what the last shot of this movie's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it really is. I mean, this, this movie is filled with uh, Chekhov's various props for Bruce. It really is. Somebody just kept joking the joke and no one ever told them no. Yeah. <laughs> There's a literal hat on a hat with the hat convention joke. <laughs> I mean, they constantly keep pointing at Bruce Willis's hat as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's picked up by Danny Aiello. Which, Love this. Because it's a movie made between 85 and 95, had to have Danny Aiello in it. It was law. I, I am I am not upset by this whatsoever. I was like, oh, I'm glad to see you again, Danny Aiello. Uh, come, come join me and regale me about things involving Moonstruck. And he says the Moonstruck line, you know, snap out of it. Are they supposed to be brothers? They are best friends okay. who grew up together. So they're they're criminal partners and best friends. Okay. Gr grew up together, yes. you know, one twenty years in the future from him. <laughs> like <laughs> This is you like You know, maybe some people just look prematurely much older than they are. This is like Matt Damon maybe and Greg Kinnear playing conjoined yes. twins and Greg Kinnear <laughs> being at least fifteen years older. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very protracted second birth, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so Danny Aiello is a five-tone, and he drives it back to the city where Hudson is just excited to get to the bar that they co-own, but it's become a yuppie bar. Oh, no. No. Listen, if there's anything a Bruce Willis character hates in the 80s and 90s, it's yuppies. And the reindeer goat cheese pizza yep. line, which is from one of his other movies, too. Really? Uh, Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. Thank you. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why yeah. does he have a thing against reindeer goat cheese pizza? Which sounds lovely, by the way. I'm deeply curious what that tastes like. 
I would try it. I'm also... I was kind of impressed when Danny Aiello says, oh, you're still longing for those feminine... I don't know if he says feminine or he says unmasculine European coffee drinks. I was like, damn, we've really been doing this for a while, haven't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turns out... It's not a new talking point that the Republicans trot out every week. It's the same old ones we've been doing for 60 years. Well, and when this movie was made, they worried the cappuccino thing would be too niche that not enough people would know about it. Because back then, cappuccinos were not prevalent anywhere outside of Europe. <laughs> That's so strange to think, right? Mm -hmm. Because I just think, like, if I was in Italy, I could just throw my shoe and hit 10 different shops to get cappuccino in on one block. Like it's really easy to find a nice cappuccino for two euros and then your problem is solved. Yeah. So this man is not caffeinated, I guess is what I'm trying to say. This whole film, he pulls off with no caffeine. Oh my so God. Much. But he has been in prison for it's 1991. When did ET come out again? 82. 82. 82. So he's been yeah. in, in prison for at least 10 years. He's been going you know, 10 years without solid caffeine. Oof. It does change you. It makes you stronger than the rest of everyone. <laughs> Very tired. So he's at... He's at five tones, and he's about to drink his cappuccino, the second attempt of the movie, because he spilled his first one in the car, and it gets shot out of his hand by the Mario Brothers, which is such... <laughs> It's such an obvious joke. I was like, is this a joke at first? I couldn't decide yes. if it was or it wasn't. It's, again, this movie seems to be occupied with doing a repetitive joke as many times as it can. So we have the hat jokes. <laughs> we have the horse jokes. We have the cappuccino jokes. We have the Mario jokes, which will lead into Nintendo jokes. Okay, sure. Uh, so the Mario... I'm sorry, I can't get through saying it. The Mario Brothers <laughs> uh, want Hudson to do a heist for them. And he's like, now I'm out of the game. And they're like, no, you're going to do it. They want him to steal from an auction house. Hmm, that's strange because his parole officer also wanted him to steal from an auction house. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, the, sorry, go on. The joke, sorry, the joke that's made in this scene, instructions oh so easy your brother could understand it, um, is because the brother he's referencing is being played by Sylvester Stallone's brother. You guessed it, Frank Stallone. <laughs> So he's making jokes about Sly Stallone in this film that he's not in. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sly Stallone to me was always one of those people that like, I would read old entertainment magazines and things like that. And people would be like, he's the biggest star in the world. And I would be like, who? <laughs> Is he? <laughs> biggest by what measuring? <laughs> Isn't he short? Yeah. He is. He is short. Yeah. So he gets coerced into doing the heist with Tommy, Five Tone, and they have a special way of doing their heists because Hudson Hawk is autistic. <laughs> it's... 
I, oh, oh man, it was the wildest thing going into this scene, and and Tommy is listing off songs, and Hudson is listing off numbers after that song, and it took me like two or three to be like, oh, he's saying the the runtime of that song, but mm-hmm. why? Why are they doing this? And of course, you know, it takes about five to ten more minutes before you figure out why. Yeah, it is a great way for them to stay in sync. However, as Five Tone says, they've invented this thing called watches. <laughs> the idea was meant to be that they like they're he's the best cat burglar in the world, but he's entirely low tech. Ah. So like so he doesn't need he doesn't need a watch. He doesn't need all this extra stuff. All he needs is the headphone stethoscope situation he does for cracking the safe because he's an expert safe cracker too. Um, and this like encyclopedic knowledge of how long a track of music is, uh, swinging on a start is not two thirty two or it's, it's really two thirty two. It's not six or whatever they say it is in the movie, but, um, they like, that's, it's such a genius way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as long as you can keep the same timing with the person you're not with, you're not doing anything extra that's going to be picked up. You're just a person singing to themselves, wandering around. Uh, where where I grew up, there was a tunnel where you would go through and radio signal would cut out. So it was always a game of like, make sure you are in sync with the song when you come back. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I just watched an episode of Archer with a bank heist where, of course, the bank vault closes and they all lose signal with each other. And then they're running around trying to, like, catch up. So it's like, actually, no, this is a really smart way to do this. And this movie's much older than that. <laughs> <laughs> the technology doesn't always help you. Uh, so they go in. They have the heist of the Sforza horse. Um, however, unfortunately, the guards have. <laughs> I, it, the... Okay, I just want to say real quick, the the establishing shot we see of the chair. I was like, that chair is bright blue. What an odd choice. <laughs> because we have this um, this auction house where all the paintings are set up and everything, and then there is a bright blue chair in front of one of the paintings, and I was like, that really sticks out, doesn't it? Hmm. I thought for sure, for the first time I saw it, I was like, that bright blue chair, maybe that bright blue chair is part of the auction? Like, it looks like it could be a thing that's on sale. And then he goes and sits that's on it. That's always what I think, yeah. I always think it's an auction piece, but then it gets broken and it's never mentioned, so I'm like, did you just cut a line, or am I just assuming because it's blue and it looks like fancy? Yeah. Yeah. And it also looks like slightly a kid-sized chair, so it's a little weird to me. Mm -hmm. Because the whole joke is there's there's a very fat security guard and he breaks the chair, yada yada. But the thing is, their heist move is the Ocean's Eleven bit of showing old footage over the video cameras. So when they show old footage, uh, Danny Aiello isn't aware that the chair is broken, so he's playing back footage of the chair sitting right there when they know it's broken. So once they notice it, they come after them immediately. It's it's weird that Foiled. that this this uh, video loop thing 
which becomes a staple of cinema for the next 15 years before people have finally given up on it, I guess, by now, I hope. Mm -hmm. But right then and there, I don't think many movies had done that before. And for it in the movie to go, oh, yeah, and this is how easily you can fuck this up. And no other movies looked at it and said, oh, wait, yeah, we could just fuck this up constantly, couldn't we, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really impressive because, like I, I, I think I said it originally. It's the Ocean's Eleven bit, and Ocean's Eleven plays this completely straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, Speed also did it. Uh, what was it? Even Knives Out does it to a small extent. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm just saying, more people have seen this movie than will admit to have seen. It. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people in Hollywood who need to fess up. Uh, so it's around here that we meet um, the antagonists, but also, in my heart, the heroes of the movie. <laughs> Darwin and Minerva Mayflower. <laughs> uh, played by the iconic Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, it's... Th- they're bringing so much. They're bringing everything. They were told they were allowed to go arch, and they went as arch as possible. <laughs> I, um, it's they're they're perfect. Yes, I love everything about them. What what I also want to point out is it sounds like Sarah has really jumped over a whole bunch of scenes to get to here, but the movie itself has jumped over a bunch of scenes to get here as well. It's the one <laughs> which is totally fine, which is the wildest thing. It decides like there's. There's a lot of points in the film where the movie kind of goes like, uh, I could explain how we got to this point, but let's just get to this point and then maybe deal. No, I won't even deal with it later. Let's just keep everything going. And it does this constantly, sometimes to better effect than others. Yeah, we should point out this movie is co-written by Bruce Willis at like the height of his power. He could probably get anything made, and he chose to get this made, and for that I doff my cap, sir. And this is the only thing he has story credit on, mm-hmm. because the original idea came from him and his buddy who worked on the music for the movie, um, who I want to say worked on The Little Mermaid, possibly? Um, but it came from him and his buddy talking about how um i can't remember what city i think there's some midwestern-ish city that the cold water the cold air off the river is called the hawk and so his buddy was walking by the hudson and the water the, you know, the air came up over the water and it was freezing and he said oh it's the hudson hawk and so he wrote a song and bruce willis was like oh i want to make a character called the hudson hawk and so this is where that came from so um i believe the the understanding is some of the wilder elements that weren't toned down came out of Bruce Willis's brain <laughs> to our great enjoyment. Yes. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, Robert Kraft co-produced Under the Sea. Under the Sea and Hudson Hawk. Yes. What a prolific several years of his life. <laughs> Bruce Willis uh, woke so up Hudson... before this film and chose chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Everything that's happening in this movie that feels like it's going off the rails is very tightly on the rails in Under the Sea. There's a, there's the same amount of elements going on, but it's a 
fine-tuned machine, whereas this has sparks. This is the this is the machine built by Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Hudson Hawk making machine. My God, what is it? <laughs> Don't know, but in four hundred four hundred years, your great great grandkids are gonna love it. Uh, reference acknowledged. Uh, he delivers Thank the Svotza horse to the Mario brothers, and it's picked up by the butler, Alfred, who promptly kills Frank Stallone. Not Frank Stallone. There's a the, lot of antagonists in this. The parole. Ep- there really are. The parole officer. The parole officer. <laughs> Everybody yes. but Hudson Hawk is an antagonist at some point <laughs> in the film. Yes. Uh, he immediately kills him and then uh, collects the... The, mo- the movie can't decide whether they're mirrors or crystals. Crystals. The, <laughs> the, the crystals, when I watched it again, I hadn't thought crystals. of this before, and I can't get over it. <laughs> but um, do you know the key to time story in Doctor Who? Uh, I haven't seen the whole thing, the- <laughs> but I've seen parts of it, yeah. But they're going around looking for these pieces, and then they put them together, and it becomes like a cube or whatever. Mm-hmm. It looks like the loose pieces of the key to time, except they're not clear and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> so I was watching yesterday, and I thought, wait, are they putting it together wrong? Is Romana going to show up and tell them that they're putting it together? Like, <laughs> is this the key to time? And we're causing something very bad happening by putting it together. Wait, Romana or Romana 2? Romana 1. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's the Mary Tam season with the Black Guardian and the White Guardian. And really, they're the same because the good evil and the bad evil are still evil. Ooh. Spoilers for know, a very old show. Doctor Who. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry if I spoiled this show for Spoil you. Spoil this, sweetie. Also, it's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we meet Alfred the butler, who is named after uh, Batman Alfred. I assumed as much. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But very much not the same type of human being. He, uh, I really enjoyed his knife work. It felt... The knife out of his pocket, (laughs) his sleeve, rather. (laughs) It's great. I really enjoyed it. This movie also, I think, was rated R and really didn't have to be. Yes. I think it's the exploding. No, it's the exploding it's, it's the fact that the word fuck is used like seven times. Yeah, Danny Aiello is swearing That's constantly in this. But they do genuinely build, like, prop bodies to explode in this movie. For some <laughs> they reason. Didn't just put an, they didn't put an explosion over an image of a person. Uh, so the it whole is point. Violent. <laughs> oh, and then we also have to introduce the CIA headed by James Coburn. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> these guys in my notes, I referred to solely as the Muppets because of everyone, <laughs> of everyone, the CIA assassins are the most Muppety people on the face of the earth. So there's four of them. There's 
they're named after candy bars, <laughs> and so they're called the candy bars. There's uh, Butterfingers, who's the big, like, East German-looking dude. He's Zangief from Street Fighter, the movie. He, he's the, I saw him and I was like, well, put a check under the box for Sam right there. <laughs> it, aside from the bad suits and terrible haircut, yes, you're correct. Yeah. You could fix that. I could fix uh, Almond Joy, like that. played by Lorraine Toussaint, who I love to see in yes, anything. Yes, She's yes. great in everything. She's great in everything. She's so good. Uh, Snickers, who's like the bland one, and then Kit Kat. <laughs> oh my god. What, what were all the choices for Kit Kat? Like, what was the brainstorming session of, okay, we have a smart lady, we have a semi-competent man, we have the muscle, and we got a fourth one. What will the fourth one do? What? So, and it's David Caruso. It's David Caruso. NYPD Blue, so he wasn't famous yet. Oh, this is before NYPD Blue. Okay. Because I was like, yes. I was like, is he already like a big TV star before he left for his big movie career? No, that started in 93. So he was an unknown at this point. <laughs> so David Caruso. Oh, yeah. I guess most people would know of him of. Uh, uh, CSI Miami, CSI but I was guy. like, it's the 90s, it's NYPD Blue. It's That's what I know I'm from. Yeah. I'm an old... We, we haven't so said David anything Crusoe about in his first scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. David Caruso in his first scene looks like David Caruso. And then every other scene he's in, <laughs> he is either dressed exactly like another person in that scene, or he is dressed as like an, an object, a piece of furniture, a sculpture. Bruce Willis, Andy McDowell. <laughs> he kills that Andy McDowell dress. Oh, I'll tell great. you that. He looks dress. great in that. But not not only does he dress like people and objects <laughs> that are around him and mimic their this is body my movement. He only communicates via business <laughs> cards that have exactly what he wants to say printed on them that he snaps. He snaps it into people's faces. They're helpful and they're exactly what needs to be said, but he's got these prepared. So the first one he gives to Bruce Willis is uh, something like, don't forget the blue wire. And Bruce Willis basically looks into camera and says, I wonder what that means. And then it shows up a scene later. <coughs> we will talk later about what happens when he dies. Oh my God. But we're, we're still really at the funny. auction. Really funny. Th yeah, this, is, we, this is the problem. We haven't met Andy McDowell. <laughs> yes. Like the movie has, the movie does not grind to a halt. It feels like we're grinding to a halt, but the movie itself just goes, here's 27 weirdos. Let's keep moving. <laughs> and you go, wait, what? This is why I messaged, like I, I, I tweeted at this point in the film, I, I think, to Katie Beth. <laughs> saying, hold on, I gotta find this because jeez, oh, what did I say to you? I'm looking too. Um, 
Oh no. What am I watching? All caps. <laughs> <laughs> I keep expecting this thing to slow down and explain itself, and instead it just adds something weirder. <laughs> oh uh, my it, god. It feels like when your high school is putting on a musical and they don't have enough roles for all of the kids. So they're like, in this version, there's 14 Von Trapp children. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and the 72 wise men who all have individual personalities that we need to show off. All the girls are triple cast, and all the boys are not. Exactly. And some of the girls are cast as boys. <laughs> um, so... We're at the auction because the auction's going to go ahead. The news put out that they uh, stopped the heist of this horse. And they have another horse that they're putting up on auction. So Bruce Willis buys a tuxedo because Bruce Willis always has to wear a tuxedo at some point in the That movies. is not a tuxedo. And... Mm -mm. <laughs> no! <laughs> but he calls it... what? Listen, he's been in prison a really long time. Oh, that is a pinstripe shirt he is wearing underneath a very nice dinner jacket for the 90s for the 90s i'm saying uh, that is no tuxedo excuse me okay it feels I'm... like it needs a bolo tie oh god i'm gonna bring up one of my favorite pieces of trivia um during the 90s when pierce brosnan was bond he was under contract to not be allowed to wear a tuxedo in any of his other films uh, oh. In Whoa. the Thomas Crown Affair, he is at a big gala. He is wearing what appears to be a tuxedo. However, if you look closely, his bow tie is undone. And that's how <gasps> they got away with it. It's technically not a tuxedo if he's not wearing a bow tie. Loophole. Yep. Whoa. And that's the most exciting thing about the Thomas Crown Affair <laughs> remake. I remember enjoying it as a child. Or teen or whatever, and just so, being like, I did oh, no. too. And then I saw the original, and it's like, oh, this is a very different movie. I've never seen it. I think um, when I went to the theater, whatever relative took me went to see that, and I was with a friend, and we saw whatever Disney preteen thing was the thing at the time. So God only knows what drivel I watched. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So at the auction, we meet Annie McDowell, who is a a doctor, like a PhD doctor, working for the Vatican. He is instantly smitten when he sees her, which, you know, like, fair enough. She's a lady doctor. They're all pretty. Mm -hmm. And she looks at the horse and is like, yep, real thing. That, Don't need to do any other work. That's definitely a horse. I shouldn't have done this beforehand and given you the credentials. Nope, I'm going to do it right here, right now. It's fine. Oh, and before he knows who she is, he talks smack about old, ugly, boring, not interesting um, art historian and art artifact people. <laughs> yeah, he asks if you have to look like a constipated warthog to work here. <laughs> And then in marches Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt. Sandra Bernhardt with her tiny dog. 
they open the bidding at something like 20 million. Richard E. Grant comes in and says, a hundred million. And then at this point, I didn't realize that Sandra Bernhardt was his wife and on the same side as him and promptly outbids him. (laughs) For one (laughs) dollar. And it's, it's just, but it's also the most uncomfortably sexual introduction to these characters that we can get because clearly they are getting off on it and they make tongue motions at each other and it's just like go for it kids (laughs) you do you i was waiting for the movie to reveal that they were siblings i know uh so (laughs) at this point the auction house explodes <laughs> when when the auctioneer bangs down his gavel. That's the cue. And that's our first exploding human being of the film. He I, rips into pieces. Like you see his arm fly off in a direction, and I'm sitting there going like, "I'm sorry, what?" Is this going to be a dream <laughs> sequence or something? Because this makes no fucking sense. And the movie doesn't care. Nope. It doesn't need to. All that needs to happen is Bruce Willis saves Andy McDowell from the giant column that's really made of foam core that almost crushes her. Uh, correct. I, I, I'm going to correct I... you on the foam core thing. It's, Ooh. Oh, tell it's me, probably tell actually me. a sonotube. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, also, the horse that smacks him in the head is a Pegasus, and that was a deliberate choice because that was the logo of the studio. Oh, it's the TriStar logo. Oh, my God. Yeah. My God, Again, this we will movie. need no idea on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. uh, after it explodes, the Mario Brothers show up again and capture him in an ambulance. An ambulance. begins my favorite action scene of the movie. <laughs> Filmed on the actual Brooklyn Bridge. They Good had to shut Lord. it down for five nights. They enraged the people of Brooklyn. Did you see? Did I saw. Allegedly, someone. Yes. yes. <laughs> allegedly, snipers shot at them because they were so pissed that they shut the bridge down for five nights overnight from like 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. or something. Oh my god. Yeah, five nights. <laughs> so, um, yes, they, that is the real Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, because he I... overpowers the Mario <laughs> Brothers by, the, by one of them, the one that's not Frank Stallone, by throwing a dozen syringes <laughs> in his face. Oh. I think this was when I was like, "Oh, this movie makes a lot of sense if you think of it as a cartoon." Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to yeah. look at it. It is very cartoony. Because the guy doesn't even pull the syringes out. He continues to have them until his very soon and untimely death. And the back opens up and the gurney falls out and Bruce Willis is riding the gurney. (laughs) And it's at first it's attached by a sheet and then the sheet rips. But this convertible pulls up next to him. And this, like, pretty teenage girl says, hey, mister, are you gonna die? <laughs> uh, apparently the girl in the convertible was the playmate of the year that year. Oh Good for her. 
That's, there's your there's your little That's somebody <laughs> making her a promise that they'd get her into a Bruce Willis movie. Yup. Yup. It's like a contest winner, but a sad one. Yeah. But that's the first time I laughed out loud in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he catches the cigarette that someone throws out of their car window and smokes it and then he throws it because it's a menthol. <laughs> it just That's the thing, guys. <laughs> if you've seen The Fast and the Furious where the, there's the plane and the runway has to be like at least 70 miles long for the chase to, of the plane to be to go on as long as it does um, this gurney has an electric motor or something underneath it because he is changing lanes in it he just like leans this way leans that way it's going through toll booths he passes the ambulance as well like the ambulance doesn't <laughs> slow down he just picks up speed but then the ambulance hits a ramp flips up and explodes in midair that's that's a wrap on the mario brothers they are now charcoal <laughs> and he goes through a toll plaza which is actually there wasn't a toll plaza on the brooklyn bridge in that year mm -hmm. and so they filmed it i think it's one of the tunnels going into the city mm -hmm. um but he throws the change into the thing so that the arm will go up so he can slide through <laughs> on, on his gurney. And I can't remember what movie that's from, but that's another reference to something specific. And I want to say it's a road movie, but yeah. Um, and then he rolls through and meets the candy bars. Yes. <laughs> and uh. Butterfinger drops a um, a giant porta potty on himself. It's great. Yeah. I can't help that he's hot and dumb. <laughs> Sometimes that's the right combination. Mm -hmm. uh, and Almond Joy makes the comment that uh, it could be worse. You could be called Chlamydia for a year. Because <laughs> so, so, that's the thing. Everybody is trying to get Hudson Hawk to steal for them. And... I sort of gave up on figuring out who he was working for or who had the gun to his head at this point throughout the movie. Because it's at mm -hmm. the Mario Brothers, it's the CIA, it's the... Um, the Mayflowers. It, Mayflower married couple. It's, it, I was it's just like, Tommy okay. Two-Toed at, at one point. Everybody, yeah. everybody in the end is working for the Mayflowers but they all double cross each other because some of them don't realize they're working for the Mayflowers. They think they're working for someone else. Mm -hmm. So it starts with the parole officer and it just keeps going up the chain. Uh, so the Mayflowers take it, knock him out. <laughs> oh no, no, sorry. The CIA agents knock him out so that he falls into a crate full of packing peanuts <laughs> and wakes up in Rome. They overnight ship him to Rome. How did he not... Which may be more comfortable than riding coach yeah, to Rome. Yeah, You get to lie down. <laughs> and you're asleep. But they had the exact amount of drug available to keep him <laughs> sedated for the entire flight, getting off of it, being transported to Rome, the city proper, into the hotel room so that he can wake up the next morning. Yeah, he wakes and up the... That is a... Sorry, go on. It's a real apartment that he's in. Ooh. So they talked about how they... Yeah, that's a, that is a real apartment with that view. Um, so 
so he stands up and looks out the window, and it's the col- the Roman Colosseum outside. Like, so next door right outside. There. Yeah, it is. That is, um, that is essentially across the street. Mm-hmm. Like, that block is a funky, curvy block, but yeah. Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, if this was any other movie, I would see, I would say that's a pretty lazy establishing shot but in this it's mm-hmm. hilarious because i'm like what's gonna be outside like it's gonna be it's gonna be rome i'm like okay i was not expecting the coliseum across the street it oh, is that's a good Roma. job <laughs> they they put him somewhere very nice mm. so i guess they're paying him well yeah cia money they save money on the shipping yep uh, he goes to the Vatican Museum because his job this time is to steal the Da Vinci Codex, the notebook. And uh, and wouldn't you know it, Andy McDowell works there. She also got an oh. expedited flight over to Rome, is suffering from <laughs> zero jet lag. Oh no, she's fresh, fresh as a daisy. She's never seen... It's that clean living. <laughs> yeah. That clean southern living. It's the nun living. She's oh, from... Sorry, that's a spoiler. Yeah. If you're listening along. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's from southern Italy. Uh, there's a very funny bit here where, again, too, too much, but I did appreciate where there's a very annoying child in the museum exhibit just <laughs> whacking a stairs with her pet elephant, pet elephant, stuffed elephant. And her mom drags her away and says, you're an embarrassment to your country. <laughs> I want more parents to do this to their children, please. If this is what... Honestly... Yeah. yeah, the amount of times I've been abroad and I've wanted to say that to full-grown adults. Like, yeah, it's it's a real mood. <laughs> uh, but the um, Hudson Hawk and Anna meet again, and they make <laughs> they make eyes at each other. And this was very refreshing because she is way more into it than most heroines of this era. Well, it's mm-hmm. almost as if she's in on the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Bruce Willis grabs the <laughs> elephant and throws it towards the codex, <laughs> thus tripping all of the, um, what would you call it, like security system features. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the weird chandelier that's above mm-hmm. comes down and becomes like a cage around the codex. So if you were to touch it and be standing there, you would get trapped and or squished. Yeah, the elephant gets cut in half. Poor elephant. But Annie McDowell says, like, I can get you away from here because they're releasing, like, poisonous gas through the gallery. And she gets him away to the Vatican uh, Postal Railway. And there's monks sorting the mail, because why wouldn't they be monks? In, like, brown linen robes, so you know that they're monks. <laughs> they got that bald patch and the bowl cut thing and everything. Mm-hmm. And they flirt some more. The really needs an update. <laughs> they flirt some more, and they make a deal to have dinner that night at 1030, where I was like, whoa, the Europeans live differently than I do. 
Yeah, they do. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Just eat bread at all oh, hours God. and pasta. And then he leaves, and it's the next moment where I laughed out loud because <laughs> a crucifix lights up and her boss speaks out of it. I was like, holy shit, are we actually introducing, like, like God into the movie who will now talk to her like a Charlie's angel? <laughs> At that point, I would have believed it. They could have yeah. got away with it. Y- yeah, there's, there's no, there's. Show me in the Hollywood rules that I can't have God bossing Andy McDowell around. <laughs> I mean, this is before she made the movie Michael, so I would have bought it. Yeah, where uh, John Travolta is an angel who's on Earth. So is Danny DeVito, apparently, in that film. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Dan. I've seen the movie once, but the one thing that really stuck out stuck out to me was I believe it's Danny DeVito having a heart to heart with John Travolta and explaining, "Yeah, I gave up my wings as well to come down to Earth, and you know I used to be a gorgeous angelic being. Look at me now. <laughs> it's just Jesus." I think I need to revisit that movie because I specifically remember the song Andy McDowell sings. Oh, God. That she writes because she wants to be a singer-songwriter. Was it the Alanis Morissette song? No, it's the... It's sitting on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And the one specific lyric is, His tires were bald and they went flat. So did our love. And that was that. <laughs> Oof. Jesus. I was but picturing a sort a of a Star is Born accent. parking lot writing session. And that was not that. No, they're literally on the side of a road <laughs> while well, she's writing this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she talks to what we think is God, but is actually the Cardinal <laughs> through a crucifix that lights up. And it doesn't just light up. It like, oh, uh, what's the word? It like it's, goes on and it off. Flashes. To, yeah. yeah. It's to, like, like a flashing it, do- it does. System. It does the Dalek thing. Of yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you will not seduce him, Andy. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> so, of course, because everybody's threatening his life, Hudson has to go in again and steal the codex, and it oh. For some reason, the one part of this movie that really made me go like, no, you're destroying art, is when they, they use a knife to cut into the back of the codex and take out the gem. <laughs> no! Yeah. Oh, but first he uh, he runs into the candy bars and they grab his list to make him, to get him all the stuff he needs for his heist mm-hmm. that evening. Or uh, it's supposed to be the next day and they tell him that the Mayflowers have moved it up to that evening. Um and he's like, but I have a date. And so Almond Joy reads his list out to him. And she's like, oh, is this what you do on a date? <laughs> I need a hundred stamps. I, I still don't remember how the stamps fit in. Because he mails himself. He mails himself. Using the underground the postal railroad. Oh. <laughs> and, and he truly, Bruce Willis was truly in the box going along the railway car. <laughs> 
and, things we do for art. And he... He falls out of the truck into the chair at the roadside cafe that Annie McDowell is waiting for him at. Yes. Yeah, he, he falls, he escapes... So he manages to steal the codex by using a fishing line <laughs> to yank it up so he doesn't get trapped when the blue wire gets stripped that Kit Kat warned him about. He runs over the top of the building. We see the Pope watching Mr. Ed on <laughs> satellite. And poking um, it with like his big ceremonial yeah. staff. <laughs> the signal because goes the out. the satellite's not working because Bruce Willis is on the roof. <laughs> Bruce Willis then... Falls, jumps into a truck that has chickens in it, and then when he jumps out and lands in the seat, and one of those, another one of those very ridiculous cut the cartooniness of it. Of oh, oh it just has to be he's, this chair. He's got feathers. Yeah, and he and he blows feathers out of his fist. And there's <laughs> and there's even a cartoon sound work. effect of like poof. Uh, and he orders his meal in perfect Italian, and then he asks for ketchup, and he pisses off the waiter. <laughs> Which is not untrue. And somehow, the candy bars are now here. I don't know if they know that they were waiting for Andy McDowell, or... Because they're at the next table! They're at the next table, and they're commenting on the fact that Andy McDowell is there... But at the same time, they seem completely oblivious that Bruce is there, despite the fact that he has just ejected himself off of a... Tra- you know what? Sure. Yes. Cartoon. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> I will they point out... tell you later that she she knew they were going to be there because they talked before he got there. Uh, because she didn't know he was going to steal the codex that night, but she knew he was going to do it. I will point out, too, that Butterfingers is certain that they are in France and calls the waiter Pierre. (laughs) (laughs) Pierre! Oh, you know what? We did jump over. What? The scene where he goes to the Mayflowers... um, Oh, to the business place. Which is is actually... Was Mussolini's building, like, office building? Uh That tracks. Um, It's a gorgeous building. They... It is. So they deliberately coded the Mayflowers as fascists Mm -hmm. on purpose the whole film and so that was a deliberate choice of like let's use this building so like if you're an architecture historian you know looking at that building like oh they're fascists because they're in Mussolini's building Um, but but there's when he comes into the room Minerva Mayflower is on the desk (laughs) I've got got the power power with headphones on while these like looks like heads of states around the table shaped like a giant M or just sitting there watching But her. she's singing it slightly <laughs> off key and way off time because you can hear the track from her headphones too. It's really... Yep. It's it's a genius move it's of... Perfect. Sure. Of course, she knows the words. She doesn't know the song. Yeah. She just wants to sing it when she wants to sing yeah. it. This is also when we get the uh, the slideshow that they've put together. Oh. That at the end, <laughs> whoops, has a bunch of S and M stuff with Alfred. Yes. Oh, I can believe that these guys are absolute sex freaks. Oh yeah. Yeah. You did. You didn't have to spell it out for me, movie. I knew. 
No shame. No but pink shame in here. It's really funny to see to see them. <laughs> Richard and Grant looks great in those heels. Mm-hmm. He looks incredible. Apparently, the three of them had a lot of fun taking those photos. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Again, this is how you become friends with someone for decades. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The second day you we're meet just... them, we're like, okay, get into the leather. <laughs> they have such sights to show you. To quote Hellraiser. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Um, so, so yeah. So, back at the restaurant, now that we've <laughs> made sure to, to keep Sandra Bernhardt's most important part of the performance. Yeah, yeah. Fast, re-fast forward. Uh, so, he immediately gives himself up as a recent convict by being like, I had the worst catch-up when I was in prison. And she's like... You were in prison. That excites me. <laughs> and she asks him how long, and he says, "Well, let's just say I've never seen ET. So, ten or more years, depending. Um, so he must have been a real bad cat burglar if that was the case. Bad as in like accomplished. Uh, this is yeah. also like the most <laughs> traditional joke of the movie, where she says that excites her, and he immediately goes, "Check, please." And the scene ends. Yeah. <laughs> And then they go to her apartment, and she's, like, checking out his tattoos. So he's shirtless, and she's fully dressed sitting on his back. Cause why, why not? not? Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point in this scene, the crucifix lights up again, <laughs> and he, he says, Catholic girls are scared. Because <laughs> he keeps trying she has throughout the movie. In her house. He keeps trying to kiss her, and she keeps turning away. And that's when I—that's when I finally clued in. Oh, she doesn't just work for the Vatican; she works for the Vatican. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, she's great in this. She's so funny in this role. But so we have the what is the final piece? Oh yeah, the final piece is the in the helicopter. Uh, the helicopter, like, small paper model. Oh, I thought you were talking about the the film. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm no. like, we're skipping by a lot of shit <laughs> to get to the end of this movie, bitch. <laughs> Calm down. No. Oh, gosh. Um, well, Tommy Five-Tone gets there. Yes. So, um... But he doesn't know Tommy Five-Tone is there because he's trying to call Tommy Five-Tone at the exact same time that he's reintroduced <laughs> to the film naturally yes. mm-hmm. uh, getting into the giant limo which was actually a car that they bought cut in half and extended i thought again that i thought that was the only yeah. the sort of thing that you could do like for top gear challenges and in cartoons <laughs> <coughs> And apparently it hurt the feelings of the guy they bought the car from because he really loved the car and he didn't know that's what they were going to do to it. Oh, no. But, it's like, I know. But you got a cool <laughs> limo out of it. Yeah. The, well, he sold them the car, but still. The guy who played um, the chauffeur in Downton Abbey, the car he was driving was like an actual, real 100, 110-year-old car. And it was worth Whoa. millions. And he's like, I kept stripping the gears and I would see the guy like <gasps> wincing. Oh, God, I bet. That's that's too much pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you film scenes of him trying to drive it then if he doesn't know how to drive it? <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm that like. Put a, on a truck. Put a Model T 
over top of a golf cart if you need to see it by itself. I don't care. Yeah, that's that's why you put stuff on a truck. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Tommy and Hawk are together. (laughs) And Hawk convinces Tommy, you're going to sleep on the couch. And I'm going to go over to her place, you know? Well, they're they're oh, at her first place. They fake, first, they fake his death. Yeah. So, um, so they get into a fight at the Mayflower's um, fascist office because building. they <laughs> think that they've double crossed him using Tommy to mm-hmm. double. Yes. I mean, at this point of the movie as well, my brain kind of went, uh, "This is too many double yeah. crosses, and who's yeah. working for whose?" I'm out. I'll see you at the end of this movie once it's wrapped up. I guess. It's true. It's like when uh, it's like when Gonzo and Rizzo say this has gotten too scary, and they duck out for the <laughs> third ghost in Muppet Christmas Carol. You kind of just have to let your brain go soft for a little bit in this movie because it just becomes overwhelming with information. Um, yeah, so they they have a fight, and there's a gun, and they roll down the stairs of this building, and the gun goes off, and um, Bruce Willis gets up. And Danny Aiello is covered in blood, and oh no, he's dead, and an ambulance comes immediately. Immediately, <laughs> like it pulls over. <laughs> it was already on its way. So the ambulance, with with um, motorcycle chaser cars ahead and behind mm-hmm. it. <laughs> That's how you know. Uh, they put him in the ambulance, they take Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis, who filming that, st- that shot, rolled into the camera and cut his face. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> they literally rolled all the way down the stairs. Yeah, that um, looks painful. I looks awful. I didn't know it was like an actual it. fascist yeah. building. But that's exactly the sort of building that if you were like, who would want this? Fascists would probably be pretty high on the list. <laughs> we want the yeah. sharpest corners. <laughs> oh, God. We so, want something uh, that looms. <laughs> big giant M help front. Yeah. Uh, so the ambulance immediately drives into a, um, a Vatican City like transportation <laughs> truck. <laughs> and that's how you know that everything's going to be fine mm-hmm. and we haven't accidentally killed our buddy. Um, and they get out at the ruins and they meet up with Anna and they go back to Anna's place and they hang out and then Bruce Willis is like, I'm going to sleep in there. And she's like, no, you're going to sleep on the couch with your buddy. <laughs> because he still hasn't put it together. I have to say, too, at the ruins, it's like a real OSS Sandy set moment where he's like, why do they keep all these old rocks just lying around? <laughs> the, they're called ruins. Oh, ruins, huh? <laughs> you're just like, what? <laughs> but the next morning... <laughs> The candy bars break in and paralyze Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis with blow darts that paralyze everything below the neck. It doesn't have so to make sense. they can be expressive. <laughs> it's great. And then they set bombs that will explode five seconds after they regain the ability to move their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there accidentally runs it into suction cup grenade launcher. Yeah. 
wild. Yeah, because at first they th- they fire one into the kitchen, and I'm like, oh, it must just like stick into the plaster or something. But no, because he accidentally aims one at his own head, and the same thing happens. Uh, yeah, so Snickers and Almond Joy get killed, which is very deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make it out at the last second as the apartment explodes. <laughs> because why not? They're fine. They're um, fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, they're totally fine. So um, now they go to the castle, which is the castle from the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. when we were in Leonardo da Vinci time in the Ever After prequel. <laughs> and uh, and Kit Kat and Butterfinger have Anna because they took her away before the uh, agent set up the other agent set up the bomb. <laughs> and so we have everyone convening in for climax of film. Where I was looking at the clock and I was like, there's only 10 minutes left? How are they going to do this? <laughs> Lots of explosions. And a song. Uh, so um, my favorite part in this is when Danny Aiello dies. I just have to say that. <laughs> what? Uh, rude. <laughs> oh, man. Because Danny Aiello is in a limo that plummets off a cliff and bursts into fire it's just and it's very and spoiler alert he survives <laughs> yes because there was there were airbags and a airbags. sprinkler system, system in the back of the limo <laughs> and he just keeps saying can you fucking believe it it's... And, and then bruce willis says yeah that makes sense basically looking at the camera yeah that makes sense yeah. Yeah, because you know what? Sometimes that's how these movies work. Just yeah. this once, Rose. Everyone lives. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the bad guy. Except for every single bad guy who is horribly killed. Anna's tied Sorry up to, to a chair in the castle, <laughs> and whatever paralysis thing they gave her doesn't work the same on her as it does on the guys. The CIA agents are like, sorry, like it just does this to some people. Cause she's just high as a kite. Or is she? <laughs> Wink. And and Annie McDowell does the funniest acting that she does in the whole movie in this scene where she's just jumping back and forth between very strange comments and my favorite is Dolphin sounds. When she says, I must speak with the dolphins now and then she just starts making dolphins. <laughs> yeah it cuts over to sandra bernhard watching her and it feels like like a comedy made like 2004 or something where it's like we're just gonna keep this going until it sideshow bob and the rakes its way around to being funny again (laughs) because they Uh, have all the crystal pieces now but she has to tell them how they go together yeah um she has to fix the key to time. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, Kit Kat gets killed by Minerva with a a, a double crossbow launcher. A double crossbow launcher, and he's dressed as a sculpture, mm-hmm. like a living statue. So he's so he's painted all like you know marbly creamy color but he makes he makes like a toga like weeping angel sounds as he moves of stone (laughs) grinding against stone we're seeing an awful lot of doctor who references this episode guys (laughs) it's 
Thank you for indulging. Yeah, no, no, it's it's okay. <laughs> I feel welcome. <laughs> we are absolute Doctor Who weirdos too. That's kind of what we bonded mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. My people, right here. Um, so Kit Kat, when he falls, all of his cards <laughs> spill out across the floor, and he picks up one that says, "I always liked you," and hands and it to Andy dies. McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> And he um and he manages to untie her wrists as he is dying, mm-hmm. so she can get free. I I love I love that joke. I love it so much. I I love. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I don't know why that joke isn't stolen and used in every other movie. Honest to God, like that should be the equivalent of walking off a cliff and not realizing it until you look down that should be how often that <laughs> joke is used <laughs> oh gosh um so kit kat dies and then various other people get blown up <laughs> as the thing goes on yeah J- james and coburn Bruce willis J- yeah. James Coburn kung fu's himself onto the hood of the exploding oh, limo. Yeah. Um, Alfred has his knives and he gets shoved into a door, and so we get the um, is it Revenge of the Sith when we do the yeah. head chopping off of the lightsabers? Sure. So we get a little Revenge of the Sith moment. Um, it's okay. It's Another one of my laugh out loud lines <laughs> where Alfred is decapitated by his own blades. And <laughs> Bruce Willis says, I guess you won't be attending that hat convention in July. <laughs> Which is one of those ones where, again, I'm like, it's this supposed is... to be fun. Do they know it's supposed to be fun? Do- Am I supposed to laugh? Am I supposed to laugh at how funny it's not? Am I supposed to laugh at the fact that this is a Bruce Willis line by a Bruce Willis character in a non-Bruce Willis type movie? I mean, I think it's hysterical. It's I, really I think horrible. It's, no, it's I so think it's bad. absolutely hilarious. But it also feels like the sort of thing that like people would put in as for a parody of a Bond film for how bad Bond's one-liners are. Yes, it does. It does feel like. Um, I'm sorry, I'm bringing back to Doctor Who. The current master does a lot of shrinking people, and then after he shrunk them, he's like. Oh, I really should have said this. This would have been really funny. And you can tell that he like is practicing his little quippy lines in the mirror, and that is what this joke feels like. So you're guess you won't be attending that hat convention. So you're saying <laughs> Hudson Hawk at some point in the past was like, one day if I decapitate a dude, I'm gonna have to say this line. He was in prison for a really long time. Fair. We I'm don't... just saying, like, like in Ocean's 8, we find out that if you're in solitary for a long time, you can plan a whole big heist. Well, you know that uh, that scene in uh, the second part of Spyfall where he's like, I've lived through 77 years. <laughs> we never see the cutscene of the master sitting in a screening of Hudson Hawk being like, I gotta take notes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I really think that's what went on. <laughs> he's very quippy when he turns up after that. Uh, That's my headcanon now. Thank you, Chris Chibnall. (laughs) 
Yes, thank you for this, like, one thing, Chris Chibnall. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm just saying I'm glad it's Jody showing up and not Chris Chibnall. <laughs> oh, wow. He's given me everything I, literally everything I ever wanted from this show. A surprise regeneration, people of color, a female doctor, and I am grateful for none of it. <laughs> This is your. It's okay. This... They found out I couldn't be there the whole time, and they were like, "Just don't bring him. She's the only one that likes him." There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But because um, Hudson put, I don't know. There's like somehow he puts it together and he skips oh, a piece. So so oh, and they break in. We even talk about how they break into the castle by. Going around with the grenade launchers and singing side, side by side, by side. Yeah. <laughs> and firing them on the beat. <laughs> so, so, so he catches up to Anna. He takes the um the pieces of the crystal, crystal, and puts them together. <laughs> he puts them together. Um, Sandra Bernhardt is wearing this really fabulous purple gigantic flat headpiece situation it's incredible um with a matching dress um the headpiece is fabulous and um so they put the crystal in and it works for a second and then everything explodes and she gets bronze exploded all over her and bruce willis says hey do you think they'll notice that I put it together wrong? And he shows Andy McDowell and he's left one of the pieces out, this little piece that's center. <laughs> this, Which this whole so time he, they've been telling us there are three pieces where I'm like, how did, you know what? No, no. There's a fourth piece. <laughs> Just on top so, of it. This is, this is, this is the, uh, yeah. this is the same issue that I have with the first and the third Indiana Jones movies is that you didn't really need Indy. Right? Like, the Nazis would have opened yeah, up true. the Ark and killed themselves, and end yep. of problem. And then in the third one, the Grail couldn't make it past the seal anyway, end of problem. So, in this film, like, Sandra Bernhardt keeps saying, I can't put it together, you put it together, and you're going to trust that he's going to put it together the right way? Really, Sandra? Yeah. Really? After all the times you've double-crossed this man? <laughs> you don't think he's going to be like, oh yeah, that's definitely it wink but the funny yes. thing too is that by breaking the machine he did exactly what it was supposed to do which was bronzing well so it's supposed to make gold mm -hmm. and the reason the pieces were broken apart um and hidden is because leonardo doesn't want anybody to have the power to make gold right because alchemy is like this mythical thing that isn't really true, but maybe it's true. And it's like, no gold's just a naturally occurring thing. Like it's not, you can't just, well, I mean, it only um, occurs in uh, supernovas. Yeah. Cool. See, mm -hmm. come here for your Canada facts and, your and, science. and some science. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so like the whole reason Leonardo da Vinci split everything up in the beginning of the film is because he doesn't want this mishandled. Um, he, he saw into the future and realized that people were terrible. So, um, so it makes bronze because it's not working right and it explodes the machine and it explodes everybody. Um, it electrocutes Richard escape. E. Grant. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Well, it's absolutely wild. And so, uh, Hudson Hawk and Anna escape using the flying contraption. <laughs> 
and suddenly it's daytime. Yeah, it, it went from land. evening to night to day. In the span of like seven minutes. Yeah. yeah, I was I was wondering too when there was all the like uh James Coburn kung fu and them skulking around with the grenade launcher on the beat outside. I'm like, is this day that, for night? It feels like it could have been day for night. That's not skulking around with a grenade launcher. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so they land outside of uh, a little restaurant where they can get a cappuccino. Oh, first they land, sorry, they land on a hill and all these children run up, of course, because mm-hmm. why not? Um, Anna's white, really cute halter dress with, like, the buttons and the collar on the front um, has made it through entirely clean. Oh, yeah, and it's, way. like, a big skirt, too. Yeah. Um, so she continues to look absolutely fabulous and fresh as a daisy. Um, <laughs> and so they go, he, so he asks her the most romantic thing of the whole film. <laughs> Would you play Nintendo with me? <laughs> <laughs> and then he sits down to get his cappuccino and she says, I wish Tommy Five Tone was here. And he says, no way. And she thinks he's being super mean about his dead friend. <laughs> and she turns around, and here he comes over the hill, saved by airbags and a sprinkler system. <laughs> oh, my God. And the coffee. <laughs> and finally, Hudson Hawk has his cappuccino. He winks into the camera as he turns into stained glass. And the narrator comes back and says that, you know, he succeeded. And <laughs> Oh, and also, Anna is incredibly horny for him and is going to give up nothing. Super oh, yeah. horny. Good for her. Mm-hmm. If that's what she wants to do. Yeah. So, um, she, she joins the many historical famous nuns who got horny for some guy and left the convent. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is she, another entry in our Horny Nuns miniseries. <laughs> Great. Love this. More Horny Nuns. This this is much better. <laughs> that this is much better, I will say. Yeah, it made more entertaining choices is the words I yes. will use. Um so yeah, so they uh They've saved the day. All the bad guys have been killed. I guess. Yeah. Roll credits. Um, Bing Crosby singing. Because why not? Yeah. There's an awful lot of choices. This movie's a lot. The fake Vatican location, I forgot to say this earlier, um... Apparently, when they were location scouting, they ran into the people location scouting for Godfather 3. <laughs> so it's an actual, um, I want to say it's a villa that's, like, on the outside of Rome. Mm-hmm. So it's i its probably one that's a museum at this point. Yeah. Um, that has a large map room that's similar to the Vatican map room, and that's why they used it. But the same location was used for Godfather 3. <laughs> I'll let you decide what's the worst film. Oh, this is like uh, the Casper house being the Backstreet's Back uh, house. Yeah. Oh, God, I've forgotten that. (laughs) There is just so much happening in this movie. It 
doesn't want to stop at any point and try to even remotely explain it. Um, I mean, even the bad guy's motivation of Richard E. Grant says it's about world domination and then Sandra Bernhardt talks about how they're just going to flood the market with gold and make gold essentially useless. It's like, okay, and then? And there's no end then after that. It's just the yeah, idea that they're not that even going to short it. They're they're just going to ruin the gold market. And it's just like, oh, okay, you guys certainly have a plan. Go on. I mean, these are the same kind of people that if this was made now, the whole thing would be just them trying to sell NFTs to people and, you know, like trading in actual commodities so that they can continue to be rich and take everyone else's money. <laughs> It'd just be a lot of Bitcoin. Yeah, what if throughout all of this, the Amazon was burning? Oh, no. What, you don't want my but my first? shitty picture of a monkey that I crudely drew once? Oh, oh the monkey! Little Eddie! <laughs> Little Eddie the gone but not forgotten. <laughs> because honestly if any movie suited a, a monkey being added in this sidekick it's this uh katie beth as our guest i'm gonna ask you to go first is it camp um the mayflowers are definitely camp yes um the part where andy mcdowell pretends to be out of her gourd with the poison they gave her um, and talks about dolphins and make do makes dolphin sounds as camp. Um, I would almost say that this movie's attempt to shove everything into a cornucopia into um, a short, reasonable short runtime uh, is the hubris of that is camp. <laughs> So, um, I would say yes. Yes. <laughs> it's nonsense. That's, that's the best part of it. Sam, how about you? This is really hard. Uh, I, after my first watch, I was more so confused by what I had done for an hour 39 of my life. <laughs> but when I watched it the second time, because I knew what was going to be coming up, I was more in tune with the film and going like, okay, I see what's happening here. <laughs> and getting its vibe. Maybe I'd like it even more on a third watch. I don't know. And I'm not sure if I can can answer that properly. I, and I don't know if that's got anything to do with whether or not it's camp, but I think my utter and absolute confusion on that first watch of... I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, who? He's dressed as a huh? Why is there a exploding what? Uh, what? <laughs> Camp doesn't need to make sense. And this certainly does not make sense most of the time. I'm going to say that Hudson Hawk is very camp. But it's it's a difficulty rating of five level camp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How about I, you, Sarah? I've talked before. I've talked before about how 
I find it difficult sometimes for these judgments to distinguish whether a movie is good or bad, no matter whether I enjoyed it, and the line between so bad it's good and camp. This movie is very, I think, from a structural studio movie kind of way, I think this movie is very badly made. I don't think it's well written or well edited. (laughs) No, no, of course not. That's correct. That is correct. I don't think it's a bad movie. No, that's the worst part. I really enjoy myself. (laughs) I like the movie. I just don't know how to not feel like I'm shitting on it by saying it. Maybe it's this like cats. Is this no? No, it's not like no. cats. Because there's no buttholes in this. Cats and has Swift wasn't born yet. Cats oh, has was a strict mind, progression of cause and effect, which Hudson Hawk does not for some reason. The singing in this film doesn't make me want to hide in some kind of closed room until it's over. I think this movie is camp. I think it's very, very camp. I could understand how the watching of this film could be an absolute horror show and unenjoyable. That said, I enjoyed myself very much. Yay! Hooray! Um, how I'm was... very delighted. But as, as I think I've made clear through my synopsis, I don't really know what happened in this movie. I don't think the people who made the film knew either. No. And that's okay. I would definitely put this on again. I think, like we were saying before with Shawshank, this is the kind of movie that is going to be great just to, like, have on as background noise. You know, and sometimes you want to rewatch a movie because it makes you have deep emotions and really, like, come to terms with humanity like Shawshank might, and maybe you're going to cry your face off. And that's just really difficult emotionally. And sometimes you just want to put on something that's like a delicious snack that has no nutritional value, (laughs) but makes you happy. Exactly. And this is that movie. (laughs) This is the ants on a log where it's like 70% peanut butter by volume. Oh, yeah. I I love celery. As long as it's coated in (laughs) peanut butter. Exactly. This is this is circus peanuts as a film. <laughs> uh, so thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Hudson Hawk. I think we're going to continue to explore Hudson Hawk in our minds <laughs> and hearts. <laughs> Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Ooh, boy. Camp favorite. Yes. (laughs) And next week, we will be discussing, well, everybody's got it right now. It's Pinocchio Fever, but we're not going to watch the Disney movie. We're not going to watch the original Disney movie. We're not going to watch the Guillermo del Toro or even the terrifying 90s Jim Henson puppet one. No, we are going to watch... The first movie I ever owned on VHS as a little boy in England. It's called Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. A movie that you have only referred to previously as something I think that you were very scared by? Uh, sort of. This is 
like I I remember this being the first movie I ever watched. Uh and my mom knows it too and there's a song from it that she and I can sing together still even though it's been 30 years since we've seen this fucking film. Um it's technically a sequel to the first Pinocchio film from Disney, but you know without filmation actually doing any of the legwork to make that actually work. Uh, it's, I'm excited. I have no idea what this is. I've never seen this movie, never even heard of it. That's okay. Most people probably haven't. But it's just something that, because Pinocchio's out in the world again, and there's new movies, I'm like, you know what? Let's hop in this weird and obscure Wayback Machine and uh, watch a movie I haven't seen since I was maybe a toddler or a child. <laughs> Katie Bess, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, I will plug the concept of being the kind of person who wears a mask if you go to be an audience member at live entertainment. Yes. Because as we head into all autumn or fall, depending on what part of the world you're in, uh, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and flu and COVID numbers are ticking up, um, that is affecting the casting crews and the people in my community deeply appreciate it if you take care of us and yourselves so that we can actually have jobs because um, a lot of things are getting canceled right now again. So um, so I'll plug uh, safety and kindness towards others. Here, here. And uh, already the Yankee Candle reviews are ticking down into the negatives again. <laughs> They're back. They're back. <laughs> it's terrifying. Please get your booster too. Yes. And your flu shot. Always get your flu shot. Always get your flu shot. Anyway, beyond being kind and wearing your mask where appropriate, you, our campers, can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Hrys Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! Okay, not too kind. No, not the way you do it.